All right, let's go then. All right, cool. Where, are we going? Where do you want to go? Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans Judge Borco, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. So you just had an awesome conversation with Scott Brinker, Craig. I did. Ridiculous. That dude is so smart. Have you guys read this report? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, It's unbelievable. I was like, I felt like I had been reading so much mediocre stuff that I almost stopped reading um, Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. around B2B rev tech right it was and um and then i got this and it's been just amazing it yeah. is such a good read his analysis is there's a ton of like intellectually lazy takes on go to market tech right and like this was like i mean we should embrace the excitement of what's coming and he does in a way that's like uh, amazing hey so. wh- where can people find it because we're talking about it and i'm sure the first thing people are going is like where is this thing Judd, I have. I'm very excited to tell you that we will be linking to it in the show notes. Oh. There you go. Look at that show notes, guys. Craig has embraced it. the show notes. All right, let's get to Scott's interview. After many years as a C-level executive from CTO, co-founder, CEO, my guest today became Chief Martech in around 2008. And that's when I obviously really started to get to know this guy. But his Mar- the MarTech landscape from uh, Chief MarTech, is, is, it's iconic. And actually, fun fact, when I was an analyst, I had to start banning it because everyone was using it. And I was like, I know, Scott, please, I've seen this a million times. I get your point. But it, it was, in all likelihood, we don't have the data for this, Scott, but I'm sure you get lots of feedback. It was in every deck like you probably went to a show and saw it in 50 plus percent of all the presentations um so you know it's it's the 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 thing about what i used to call the brinker slide and i used to tell people oh you're gonna bring me the brinker slide was that you know it's only part of your game you're the writing and the speaking is like some of the most brilliant out there on the market so like it was just amazing to bring to bring you on this show. I mean, and um, as an example is that most recent report, the MarTech in 2024 is an incredible read and we will include it in the show notes. Unbelievable, it'll be the basis for most of the um, conversation today. And oh, by the way, as a day job, he's the VP of the platform ecosystem at HubSpot. So today's guest is with great pleasure, I bring to the table, Scott Brinker. Wow, thank you, sir. That's the Alex. kindest intro I've probably ever received. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, Martech in 2024 report was amazing, man. And uh, by the way, the team here calls me Analog Craig. Here, let me show you. This is the report. This is what your report <laughs> looks like. You no, know, I've not actually seen it printed out. So, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> and, My apologies uh, to the uh, tree that, you know. <laughs> yeah, other, yeah, I know. Maybe it's life in the service yeah, of Now I'm in big trouble. The, um, and the other day, Matt and his team were in, and uh, one of the women saw me with it open. She goes, oh, you're reading the, uh, the uh, Scott's report. So, incredible read. And so, there's a lot that we can talk about. So, what I was thinking um, we might open with, um, from you is what I like to do is like, what, like, is there something surprising? Is there something that's completely misunderstood by the market today 
or, or flat out wrong, by the way, um, and particularly around today's MarTech market. Um, and what the, what's really happening, in your opinion, um, despite what people think? And, you know, what does that mean? Is there how would you answer that as a way to start this off? Sure. Well, I have to confess, I am as surprised as pretty much everyone else has been over this past decade uh, of the rate of growth of MarTech solutions out there in the marketplace. It's, um, you know, and particularly what we saw in just the past six months with this like whole new wave, you know, of these AI powered like startups coming into the space. Uh, it's, it's mind boggling. Now, you know, the, the immediate objection that most people have to this, and they're not wrong, it's like, well, wait a second, okay, you know, what's the lifespan of, you know, these different ones, you know, like, they can't be the scale, like, surely, you know, a bunch of these aren't going to qualify for venture funding. And all those things are true. I think just what I've learned from the landscape, and I find myself, you know, getting into a lot of, like, repeated discussions with people about is the way technology innovation now happens in software at large. I mean, we're looking at it in MarTech, but we see the same dynamic happening pretty much in every category in software now, um, is it's this primordial soup of just there are so few barriers to entry to people like building things and getting them into market and even winning their first few customers, you know. And while on the whole, this presents challenges of, you know, the, uh, well, the um, uh, 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 death by choice sort of, you know, challenges or for any of these different companies, you know, it's certainly a struggle of like, okay, well, what can they grow to ultimately become? Because only so many of them are going to become, you know, the head of the tail. The truth is that jostling around, you know, of all these different startups and all these different innovators and folks trying a different way, as chaotic as it is, this is actually the process by which, you know, the market moves and it evolves. You know, it keeps things from, I, I'm still, I'm unfortunately old enough to remember, you know, the days of enterprise software before all this. And you saw these dynamics again and again, where when the market really consolidated just down to a few very massive companies that had essentially an oligopoly on, you know, uh, you know the, a particular space, the innovation just sort of died. You know, there was just no incentive, you know, for those companies, you know, to do anything other than how can they extract more rents, you know, from their existing user base. And this constant pressure of innovation coming, you know, from below. Well, I understand why marketers can find that frustrating on another dimension. I think a lot of the good things that happen in this like constant evolution of both the technology, but also the pressure to make sure that pricing and economics, you know, remain favorable for marketers, all those things are a function of all that chaos. Yeah. Amazing. I was trying to, I, I was like, God, how do I take some of the numbers that you have and, and bring it out here so that we can talk about this, but, uh, Basically, right now, is this right? 13,080 MarTech tools and applications in the uh, Brinker slide? You yeah, like and let's thought? assume that, you know, we still haven't actually got 100% coverage of all the things that are out there. Yeah. The thing that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to dig in with you and was one of the points you make is like, so we did lose a fair amount. But yeah, we but it's, really high. it's been high for a while. Yeah, 
right. And then you said, but wow, um, uh, we just got this boost and it was Gen AI, 73%, I think, of all the new uh, tools and applications that you saw in the landscape were Gen AI driven uh, technology. And I have a funny quote that I'm going to give you and then we'll let's talk about the effects Gen AI's had on um, the MarTech side. So do you know Esteban Kolsky? He's like also one of my favorite analysts of all time. He's like in the yes. program. Yeah. Yes, I know him. Yeah, he's so controversial. <laughs> And I've been it, on the receiving side of some of his. Oh uh, yeah, actually, I should have told him we were going to get on. And, yeah, and um, I mean, he's what he's like. But, but that's the reason why he's so amazing to talk to. And he said um, he was making fun of uh, prediction makers. He, I think in LinkedIn he called them charlatan prediction makers. And uh, <laughs> and I was trying to get more out of him. And he said, uh, he said, Craig, let me ask you a question. How many of these prognosticators last year? mentioned chat GPT and the effect and, and Gen AI and the effect that it was going to have on everything. And I was like, that stuck with me. And then I read your report and holy crap, it had enough. I mean, we got a, we're getting pummeled now in a good way, in my opinion, like yeah. we have to bring all this stuff to market and let the things sort themselves out. So anyway, I threw in a bunch of things, but I think the key here was that I wonder if we might have seen more of a drop off potentially without the AI generation coming through and creating a whole new slew of tools and apps. That also falls under your uh, thesis in the start, which is it's actually it's not easier, but it is uh, you can bring software to market. Uh, uh, I don't know what you say. Uh, it, it, let's just call it easier than ever before. Um, and um, that helps sort of fill and more the landscape and we'll continue to add to it. But like, tell us about, if you don't mind just telling everyone about AI and, and the MarTech stack and how we should, you know, what it is and what we should be thinking about and then the effect that it had on the, on the numbers here and what we're going to see going forward from um, frankly, everything in MarTech. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. Um, so it's definitely easier than ever to bring a software product to market. It is probably harder than ever to like break through and actually build a really you know, successful, meaningful company because of all the noise. So it's it's a double-edged sword there. But the other thing I would say too about the the churn rate, you know, it's a relatively small percentage of the companies on that Martech landscape who are truly funded by VCs, like institutional VCs, and they're in a mode like either they're going to hit their number or basically they're going to get shut down or acquired or return the money to the VC. You know, those things actually tend to have a very, are more likely to have a clear expires by date. Um, you know, so that if it didn't work, okay, they'll, they'll move on. The challenge with a lot of the other solutions in there that are either, you know, have been organically funded or, you know, by, you know, lower levels, you know, of, uh, you know, capital funding um, is SaaS is hard to kill. You know, I mean, if you've got a SaaS product and it's got customers and it's even marginally profitable with those customers, even if you would look at that and say like, you know, this technology sort of hit its peak, this probably isn't going to go any further, you know, in a rational world, it would probably go away and, you know, resources would be like, uh, yeah, recombined into launching, you know, something new. The truth is, yeah, the stuff's just going to like, it's going to live on for a while. So I think people who look at the landscape today and say like, wow, I think a lot of this landscape is at risk from the technological shifts that are happening with things like generative AI. 
they're not wrong, but I would be surprised if we see like 50% of the landscape just go away within a year, just because it's just, it's just going to have this tail of entropy. It's going to take a while to get through the machine. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a good, no, that that's probably not a good thing as far as anyone's concerned, but I, <laughs> that would be my guess on what we'll see pattern wise. Um, as far as the impact of Gen AI, you know, the thing I am so excited about here is I know in marketing, a lot of people talk about the content generation capabilities of Gen AI, um, you know, the ability to do things like one-to-one personalization. Finally, maybe for real, this thing we've been, you know, mythologizing for, you know, like two yeah. decades. Um, and that stuff is really cool. That is nowhere near as interesting to me as Gen AI sort of at the next level down of, you know, the two examples I talked about in the report is one, data. Oh my goodness. Like marketers are the most analytical question generating, like perfect machines ever known to mankind. Like, you know, any marketer at any given moment in time has like 50 analytical questions they want the answer to, you know, and they like, yeah, anytime you get a data analyst near them, they like immediately saturate them with like, oh, well, what about this? What about this other one? And then when they get those answers, they're like, great, that just inspired 50 more questions. And this is why, yeah, you know, I mean, it's gotten to the point where even most marketers, like they don't even ask most of the questions that are in their head because they're like, all right, nobody's actually going to track this down for me. Um, I am so excited about this path we're seeing where these Gen AI interfaces overlaid with the right data structure. We've got a lot of work to do on the data side too, but it's increasingly going to empower this sort of self-service way for marketers to, for a huge portion of those questions that pop into their mind, just get the answer right away. And that actually will translate into the speed in which they're able to like, you know, uh, propose hypotheses, run experiments, get feedback loops, make changes. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the agility of that. So let me stop there. There's more, but we'll stop with that one. Well, I, I threw my hands up because I totally agree. I feel like when I do the sales tech type of events, they always want to talk about engagement AI, I call it. I just made these words up, so you go with me on this. Engagement AI and operational AI. Everyone wants to talk about engagement AI, but there's real flex on the operational AI. Like I was talking about, like I, I was doing OpStars, right? And we we're talking about RevOps. I'm like, RevOps, you know, look, guys, RevOps is about staying up till 10 at night because the report you presented got questioned and they made you go do another report. Then you went through it with them and realized they had to go back to the original report, but with this change. And then, oh, by the way, I need it tonight. And like their the ability to truly be strategic is lost, right? And so, as you said, this sort of it's like self-service and and as you said, the ability to grab data that we've never been able to grab and look at before is is so powerful. That's amazing. And there's two things. I like how I do these layered questions. You got to figure out what you got to answer. The the but we are myth breaking right now. So for example, the customer journey thing was a piece of paper before. And now we have the ability to continue to look at more data and to be able to actually make judgments there. Number two is data driven was really hard as well. Just making data driven decisions, like we talked about data driven decision making, but we we're really only able to look at the basically the um, well, frankly, the some set of uh, likely 
KPIs, right, and less about behavioral metrics to make decisions. And that actually was was very limited. Whereas now, not only is our, with the operational AI able to sort of uh, pull us out of, like, can I ask for the data on something? The answer will be yes. And then can I also look at something that I never was able to look at before? The answer to that is yes. Um, so anyway, that was my reaction. I feel like there's two parts that just looking at your report. One is both the AI, uh, you know, let's just for the sake, of, I forget what you call, like the operational AI, I call them rev up. I like the operational AI phrase. Like, I think that's a brilliant yeah. way of framing well, it. Well, yeah, I, I get a win once in a while. And then, but the <laughs> other is the cloud data warehouse, right? Is the, where you're putting the data. Um, so I don't know. I, I I actually, that was more of a comment, but I don't know if you have any reaction to anything I just said. Yeah, well, I think this is the thing. In fact, I've started to call this the uh, super collision, uh, you know, because it's like there's several different things happening here, right? So what we were just talking about with, um, in some ways, it's almost like a composability of people being able to compose, you know, analytics or compose workflows or things like this using AI um, to dramatically expand the set of things that they can self-service. They can self-service everything, but there's now a much wider swath than ever before, and it's improving, expanding at an incredible rate. But then there's this whole other world where, like, you know, independent of what was happening with AI, is we were already headed down this path where we come from a world where every MarTech app had its own private database, you know, and these stacks basically were stacks of dozens yeah. and dozens of siloed databases. And the whole integration game was largely, well, let's take these little pieces of data from this thing and throw it over the wall to that other thing. And, oh, did we get all the data? Now we got this one, and, you know. And then what's slowly been happening over time is there's been more and more pressure to pull the data down into like a common cloud data warehouse. Initially, purely from an analytical perspective, even though the stats at the time where we'd push all this data down into the warehouse and then actually really wouldn't do much with it, you know, but it, it started to, you know, uh, accelerate. And then that whole reverse ETL, you know, uh, innovation, we can call that that over these past couple years, where it's like, oh, it's not just about pulling data down from these apps into the cloud data warehouse, but we can then like sort of model and clean and recombine things and then push stuff back up into yeah. our operational systems. Now the light bulbs start going off of like, well, wait a second, you know, in many ways, this is almost like a meta integration mechanism, at least for a data layer. Yeah. Uh, and we're still early on this journey. And there's probably a relatively small subset of companies that, you know, really have operationalized sure. as well at this point. But it's accelerating, it's growing. And so you see this thing of like truly getting to the place where much everything we're doing in our business, not just in marketing, but across the business, you know, we will have in this accessible in a data layer. And then what's interesting is like that alone is super exciting and opens up so many opportunities for marketers. Um, but then you combine that with the ability to like, oh, and now we're able to use Gen AI to compose some of our own analytical ideas or create experimental workflows or app experiences. And it's like the combination of those two things I mean, to me, we're like entering this phase where it is possibly the most creative environment yeah. for, you know, marketers since like, I don't know, the television. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a lot of creative freedom we now have. Totally. I mean, I uh, I felt like, you know, uh, let's see, I was at Gartner 2020-ish to 
last year. And like, I felt like, you know, when we were, when I was looking at some of the analysis people were doing, I'm like, my God, like we have sort of reached a point where MarTech's not sexy anymore. And that we're just doing what we're doing. We're just trying to get other folks, the laggards up to speed. And then bam, it's like, holy crap. Now we've reached a revolution where we can get better. And like, that is exciting. What you said is like, now the, the tech allows us to be even more creative um, and it's it, we should all be excited across the entire go to market. It's amazing. Um, you know, one thing about that, by the way, if I could just add on to this is I haven't written this up yet, but I'm I'm dying to as soon as I can get like a half a day free. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the challenges with Martech is over the past 10 years, it has steadily gotten more and more complex. And it's gotten in particular more and more complex for the users for the operators, the ops teams, um, to the point that, yeah, I think, you know, some of those Gartner stats about like utilization rates, you know, just, you know, plummeting, it's, it, people just can't even like consume and like manage all of that because so much of that has been manual. What we're seeing with some of these gen AI interfaces now being layered on top of this is behind the scenes, MarTech is still quite complex and it's not gonna become less complex anytime right, soon. Right. But the interface for us as humans and our ability to work with this, Gen AI feels it's actually like one of the first innovations now, at least as far as I can remember, that actually stands to simplify what the experience is like for the humans who are working with this stuff. And I think that is going to be a huge boom for everyone. Damn. I said, that's perfectly said. I, I saw I, a guy I've known for years, he was early Salesforce guy, Bobby Dappletonia. I saw him. At, oh, I know him. Yeah. Of course, everyone has Bobby Knapp, right? And, you know, he's the best one-liner guy I know. And I, I mean, and I've run into a lot of them. And some people might even say I've got a little of that, not even close to this guy. And I said, I saw him. We're at a party. He'd had a couple of drinks. I'd had a couple of drinks. Well, uh, maybe um, there's a rumor about that. And I said, oh, give me, what's the, what's the update here? And he said, uh, well, we start, you know, uh, we started um, with no software, he's like, and now we're in the generation of Appless. Like mm -hmm. for the user, they won't even see it. And all that pain around that is going to is going to go away because we're going to you can be Appless now. And uh, I thought that was really uh, well, he's always pretty good. That was really good. Um, I think he's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm hearing from you right there. OK, I got one for you. So uh, here. You had this part, like, out of the gate, I was like, oh, my God. We have this thing, okay, where everyone's trying to, as you, I think you said, rationalize their tech stack, right? Uh, yet they they need to innovate. And I'll give you one thing on, and that's a, that can conflict, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the things I noticed at Topo, because, like, I tell people at Topo, people would say to us across both stacks, well, like I have too much. They were saying that before all this, like this was in the, you know, call it five years ago, you know, they'd say that and then we'd say, okay, well, how do we react to that? And we'd say, but they don't want to really talk about that. So even though they would say that, they would still bring us in to find out what's new. So they go, ah, well, we got to pair back. Ooh, wait, what do you, what do you know about this? You know? This was like actually the ABM platform type stuff was coming up. It was like, oh, we need to cut back. Oh, but wait a minute. What about intent data? And so uh, that's all I could think about when you're talking about this uh, rationalization versus innovation. Tell, tell us about that and, and tell us how, like if you're a C-level C leader in the go-to-market 
uh, world? Like, you know, how should you be handling that thinking about that? Yeah. Well, you know, that's actually one of the things that back to, uh, you know, the phrase from Bobby there about uh, Atlas. Um, Assuming we get to that world, and I tend to agree with him. I think that's where this is headed overall. (laughs) One of the nice things about that is like just no one will care. Um, you know, all this sort of thing of measuring based on the count of apps has always felt to me like it's a bit of a distraction. Like what matters for any given like marketing or revenue organization is how are we performing and, you know, what is our cost to be able to, you know, deliver that kind of performance. Now, I think in that regard, I mean, again, like, you know, that's easy to say at a high level and it comes down to then, you know, like you have to look at your tech stack and be evaluating it continually on both dimensions. Like, is my current tech stack letting me do what I need to do to be able to achieve my performance goals? And, oh, how much am I having to pay to achieve that? And is there a cheaper way to do that? Where cheaper isn't just, oh, less software subscription costs, although that's certainly one dimension, but it's also like the overhead of like, well, how many admin people do I need? And what's the switching costs, you know, of going between different apps and how much time do we spend doing like custom integration things and how much, you know, data gets lost here that creates, you know, I mean, all those things are costs. And so you, you do have to constantly be looking at both of those dimensions. The count of the number of apps in your stack there's some correlation to it, but I just like, just count of apps, just, I mean, almost, and I, I, I'm not probably silly saying this being the guy with the MarTech landscape, but it's some level like the count of apps in the MarTech landscape. I'm like, well, that number isn't really relevant to most people either, because like any, you know, uh, you know, uh, person, who, any buyer who's in market for a particular capability, there's a tiny slice, you know, of that landscape that's going to be relevant to them when they're thinking about that capability for, you know, their market, their region, their stage, their platform ecosystems, all that stuff, you know. So the, the, the count of stuff is always fun for discussion. But, yeah, I think it's one of the worst metrics to, like, navigate by. <laughs> and, yeah, as we enter the world of applessness, where uh, a lot of this becomes irrelevant. I mean, as long as you're using it. But I do wonder, as you said, if uh if we might use more um if uh well you know that like 33 percent um utilization is uh, really low um the uh but you know well we, the, we're in exciting times again and it's like uh if we're back in business talking about fun stuff again scott so that's good you know by the way that utilization i think i put this in that report too is um I think that low utilization rate, very little of that is the fault of those technologies. I I think it is when I talk to a lot of companies, they consistently underinvest in the enablement, the training, the empowerment, you know, basically the organizational capital to take advantage of this stuff. I've always, this is the the irony for me with being associated with this um, uh, landscape map is because I am actually firmly in the camp is I think the technology is 10% of the equation at most. 90% of it is entirely about the people, the process, the strategy you're taking to that. And it it always kills me like, yeah, well, we just over-index on the technology because we're actually missing the things that are the real levers of driving value. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, so I have two more things. One is a redirect, because I got to ask you about this. You have to both combine your chief MarTech hat and your current uh, VP of platform platform ecosystem hat. 
HubSpot has been a wonder. I mean, like, it's a beast, man. It has sur- it has gone through all the wars, entered new ones. Like, I th- I'm like, and they stayed the course. Like, and uh, I wake up one day and, like, the, the de facto SMB tech CRM is HubSpot. Yeah, eventually maybe they move, maybe. But, like, I, I go, now I'm like, oh, my God, they, they, this is like they have stayed the course and they continue to infiltrate other areas, but they could, the user base continues to grow. The community of fans continues to grow. And it's like been unstoppable. Other folks have been acquired and done all these things. And HubSpot has stayed HubSpot the whole way. Like any, any thoughts from you on what the magic is there, like that we can learn from? I mean, the credit really truly does go to Brian and Dermesh, uh, the co-founders. They, um, you know, so I actually was in the same office building with them uh, uh, when they started. In fact, I was in the same uh, 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 program, uh, graduate school program with Darmesh when he started this too. No, you know, and even from the very beginning, they were like, "Listen, we want to build a lasting company." And this was at, you know, I mean, particularly in the early, you know, two thousands, early two tens. Like so many people who are building MarTech companies are like, yeah, we're going to build this and then somebody's going to buy it and we're going to sell it and we're yeah. going to flip it and all this. Uh, yeah. uh, and they were like, real, I mean, and, and to be honest, yeah, I think a lot of people were like, okay, you're just saying that to hopefully then like raise the price of someone, you know, having to buy you. But yeah, I mean, very clearly now you can look back, you know, on the history of it and you're like, no, they, they were pretty serious about that. And as a result, they made a lot of investments and in things like, so for instance, you know, instead of growing through acquisition, which is a great way to boost your numbers very quickly, but takes on a tremendous amount of tech debt, you know, and there are certainly other models of companies who follow this that you're looking, you're like, yeah, well, they grew really fast inorganically, but, you know, they're going to be paying off tech debt for the next 50 years. HubSpot really resisted that. And even today where they're making acquisitions, things like the Clearbit acquisition, you know, that is a very specific kind of in, uh, acquisition that like doesn't require like a whole replatforming thing. Uh, so super smart on that. And then the other thing that they really invested in was, you know, the culture, uh, really trying to like, you know, be very conscious. Darmesh has this whole thing, if you haven't seen it called uh, the culture code, it's been around down a decade or so out there. And this, this is genuine for them. It has always been, you know, part of it. And so with that, that investment in a tech foundation that was built for the long term and investing in sort of the people side of things from a culture code for the long term, those are things that when you're doing them early on, it's kind of hard to see the returns. In fact, you could argue it's almost it sometimes might feel like negative returns. Sure, you guys don't want to acquire more companies and grow yeah. faster. But when you get to play it out over a couple of decades, you're like, oh, wow, okay, now that return starts to kick in. Yeah, amazing. It's an ama- it is truly an amazing story. And in tech, like you just don't see these long-lasting companies, and like it's just been incredible. They keep growing, so amazing. Okay, with our last thing, this is the last. So, if you're going to leave us with one theme uh, for next year. Um, as it relates to MarTech, I know we talked about a lot, so you might be repeating yourself, but, uh, you know, in, in a minute or less, like, uh, you know, what's the one thing you want us to know? Um, well, I would qualify by saying there's a lot going on. Everyone I know 
me, like everyone is overwhelmed by this. So if you're listening to this and all this stuff, or you're there, probably like, oh my goodness, there's so much here. How will I ever keep up? Join the rest of the, <laughs> right. the known solar system at this point. It's just, you know, this is the, the state. And so all of us are in that boat. And the best thing you can do is get focused on like, okay, well, what's the next best step I can take and what matters to my customers and to my business? And be okay with the fact that there's a lot more happening out there that you just can't spread yourself thinly over. So that being said, if I was going to pick one thing, it would really be all data, 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 data. You know, I think there's so much value we're in a position to unlock, you know, from the way data is becoming much more fluid now across the organization. And we also know it's going to feed into so many of these cool things that are happening at the AI level. So almost any like rational investment you make in the data dimension of what you're doing next year, I'm pretty confident you'll see return on that. Wow. You do this for a living because that was the perfect ending. And even the way you said it, you're the the way you ended that last sentence was like the perfect end for me. So thank you. Anyway, look, Scott, thanks again. Honestly, I meant what I said in my intro. It was uh, an ode to you. I don't think I've ever said it, but you do owe, still owe me a beer from like 15 years ago. So I and I will. All right, we will. We will. I will make good on that. And probably by now I have interest. So I owe you two beers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll pick you up on that. But thanks again. And this was amazing. You know, one of the things I get out of this is I learn a lot too. And so I, I really appreciate that. And just prepping to talk to you and then hearing how you talk about it was like, it was huge for me. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, sir. All right. Have a great day. I, I don't even know how you, you, where we go after Scott. Like, that was amazing. I mean, why don't we follow up on Scott a little bit and, and you know, what we are seeing that market martech ecosystem and his take on well, it. I think we should just lean into that conversation because I think it was solid gold. And I, I really, you know, obviously I have a personal bias towards the idea of data and, and where we're going with data, the flexibility of it and what, you know, the proliferation of the cloud data warehouse is, is enabling from a data perspective. So I'd love to talk about that. I also just really love like that final take that you had there, Craig, uh, about the Apple's, um, future that we're all headed into. Cause it's one that I'm starting to see a lot of signals becoming maybe not just popular, but like almost essential, um, for the reasons that Scott talked about, which is, you know, these kind of micro databases that exist all over an organization. And, um, you know, what, what businesses like, uh, like, like five tran have been able to 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 unload for for organizations by using uh, cloud data storage. So I to me it's like we could go a million directions there and there's there's a lot of fun stuff to unpack and I do think that this represents a pretty massive paradigm shift in the way we've thought about traditional martech over the course of, you know, the last 12 or so years. Um it's everything is about to change in a big way and I think I think it'd be normal for people to be a little bit nervous about that. But I think what they're going to be excited about is just how much simpler everything's about to get. I I recently just did a, I just did a post. And Craig, you probably already know this, but Gardner had put out a thing about the super app. Re, oh, yeah. Ago, right? well, I didn't know that. What, what are they calling? The, go, go Help us with that one. What are they, what are so they calling the super app? The, the take is instead of having disparate apps everywhere, there would be a platform that would integrate all of the apps into one place, share data across them, have singular login. Therefore, you'd be able to pick and choose different components of different applications and what you like of them and use them simultaneously without 
having to connect through, you know, super like think of it like a super Zapier platform. Um, And and I can see this causing a lot of turmoil for business, but making it better for consumer being Mm -hmm. that customers are so tired of having to pick and choose and log into 70 places and figure out if they can integrate, say, you know, utilize data and move things across. So, oh, I have to log in here. Then I have to go here. So processes become gigantic. So putting yeah. everything into one place and be able to use it as almost a singular app- application seems so smart. Where I see this causing problems for businesses, where businesses try to extend capabilities quickly to keep up with competition, to some extent, it's going to force them to fully bake anything they're going to move forward. Because if it can't at least be as good as what the competition is, people can easily choose a different piece of a product and integrate that into their overall suite. So I can see this creating a lot of really complex business problems, but yeah. really great for the for the user. You know, originally my idea for our clothing line was the unfiltered clothing line, but actually Super App, uh, you got to do Judd, dude, you have to get a Super App jersey. Done. That would be amazing. It's kind of like we're a Super App right here. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, the conceptually, though, the super app idea is what Matt just talked about. Yeah. But calling it a super app is scary when actually part of the thing we're trying to do is to, uh, to move, yeah, to make it s- seamless. Um, like, you know, I, it's, it's funny, but um, years ago, I don't know if, gosh, I'd have to remember the company, but they were, you know, Microsoft was going to do this too, where basically uh, you could just talk to the CRM and get everything off, right? And, um, you know, that's actually maybe not the way people will use these tools, but that is easy to understand, right? Which is like, if I could just, um, you know, I think about this, I I don't know if you heard me, but like with um, Scott, I've been sort of trying to break up the way people are talking about AI to engagement AI and operational AI. Operational AI is really exciting, right? Because uh, a, we pretended we knew the customer journey for years, right? It was just, you know, guys like me out there going, you have to start with the customer journey. And they would just write it on a piece of paper. You hired an agency. And now actually like Matt's telling us, Hey dude, I can see things I have never been able to see before in the customer yeah. journey. Yeah. Number two is like, uh, real data driven decision-making because it was faux data. It was data driven, but it was against like, uh, only the real the things that we could track, which was limited. It really was, right? And then those things unlock. But the big one that unlocks is that I could just slack and say, hey, like, I, I want to learn more about this. And now the AI, and the, particularly the Gen AI, can go interpret that, maybe create the report with some analysis for me. And I'm like in true real time. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer. But for me, the super app is... There is something in behind that Gartner is obviously right. Like this is kind of, you know, Matt, this is where your world is. Like we're going to yeah. connect everything probably into a, a snowflake or whatever, and then be able to pull it back out and be able to do things with it. So technically I guess that's the super app, but what we want to do as an industry is actually alleviate words like super and app, right. And be able to say, just give this idea that like all those things that you wanted to know, what if you could find it out via teams or Slack, or what if you just ask it? You know, and it could it could come back and bring that to you. That's pretty exciting, but it needs a more lightweight set of messaging than Super App. But I get it, right? The Gartner folks are 
are, are smart. I, yeah. I think that was a good one for you. Did you get a lot of engagement on that one on LinkedIn? Yeah, not, not like a, a decent amount. People were kind of like, I could see where there could be some challenges, but also what it could do. And, you know, some people like to just poop on Gartner. So, you know, how that goes. Yeah. Um, I don't believe me. I live in that. <laughs> By the way, what's interesting, Judd, for you, just watching your activity on LinkedIn, you are proof that like uh, the, like, that's a really good topic you brought up right on LinkedIn. And I'm like, hey, you, decent engagement, but you bring up something about ripping on SDRs and then it's like flies through the roof. I mean, uh, I don't know. There's this guy on LinkedIn who I just, he ended up in my feed. He's like a CEO of like a, some kind of FinTech. And he's like writing about SDR stuff. And someone was like, why do you care? And he's like, because it's the only thing that drives like massive engagement. You know, yeah. it's pretty, it's, it's uh, kind of ridiculous what's happening right now. Now outside of like LinkedIn, algorithm changes, which, you know, that, that happens every other day. I am kind of curious what people are most interested in because it seems people will gravitate towards like low hanging fruit, like should SDRs be around? And then when you try to get into true business topics and, and maybe it's who's on there, who's paying attention. I don't know. You know, if we're working, are we really on LinkedIn? I don't know anymore, but I, I yeah. do like getting into those conversations and I'd love to see more people just join the conversation. What is your take on it? Like, I, I'm not going to argue with people. I want to hear what people think and, and and have a conversation. I would say that that's one thing that I think is lacking in general, not just even on LinkedIn in general. A lot of people are not engaging in these conversations. They're listening yeah. to people like us talk about it, but they're not getting involved in sharing their side. And so it's making it really difficult to understand how everybody out there is feeling about these topics and what things we should push forward or pull back on, uh, yeah. which is kind of... Uh, I'll say a little disheartening because, you know, nobody wants to be in an echo chamber. So basically, um, this is a classic one, which is like social has drived uh, the most engagement that we've ever seen, yet it's driven, drove, driven little. In, it's there, There's very little engagement because actually most people write preach, exclamation yeah. point. That's my least yeah. favorite. The mic drop. Uh, nailed it. Yeah, mic drop, nailed it. Uh, the praying, the clapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we have. Yeah, that's it. I actually, that's, that's actually, I can see that in your, in your feed, Judd. Like that was the super app topic is actually a really interesting one. It's not like you didn't get, but you didn't get the kind of thoughtful response that you should. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think back over the course of my usage of LinkedIn and when I quote unquote wanted to be a thought leader, uh, and I would post about sales development or I'd post about demand gen, um, you know, 10 years ago, people, people engaged. They were like, I do this. I do that. That's interesting that you brought that out. Have you ever considered this? Now I feel like the landscape has changed entirely, which is like, we're looking for people to tell us what to do. And then therefore you see these reactions that are just, yeah, you go or like, that's awesome. Plus one, plus 1 million, plus the 100 emoji. And I think it's a sign of the times around mar marketing and MarTech right now, which is people are a little bit lost and people are looking for what the next big frontier is. And I think what you touched upon today, Craig, with Scott is what will ultimately get people out of the, I think we've pushed Marketo demand base, uh, Facebook ads, Google ads to their absolute limit. What are, what is next? 
And I think as we start to think about what's next and what's possible either with an appless reality or better access to data, faster data into our systems, et cetera, then that's when people will start to have the conversation around, okay, there's been a paradigm shift. What are you doing? And what are you seeing that's working? Because there's only so many times you can say, hey, you know, if somebody registered for your webinar and didn't attend, you send them a four-step email nurture. Like, that we've heard a million times. Or, hey, you know what you should really do is account-based. Like, okay, got it. We, we've, we've gotten that. And we've sort of built all the infrastructure for that. But what comes next? And what are the realities around having more access to data? I think this is like, from my purview, I see this as being especially true in the B2C world. Less true in B2B. But I think what we've always seen historically is B2B follows on to whatever trends B2C is, is leaning into. And what I'm seeing now in the B2C space is because of the widespread adoption of the cloud data warehouse and because of tools like uh, like like Fivetran that are enabling people to collect so much more data about people, it's not just can I send this person an email? And it's not just do I recognize from their persona that they're male, female, somewhere in between, and like I'm going to make them an offer based upon the demographics. It's can I pull the behavioral data, not just what we traditionally pulled, which is you know client-side data, what interactions have they had on our website, but what are they actually doing with our products? And then can I create something that feels significantly more tailored to them based upon not just who they are, where they live, whether they're male, female, or somewhere in between, but also what are their behaviors actually look like? And that to me is, I think, what's going to unlock the next wave of real marketing, which is, I know Craig, uh, he buys clothes here. He buys clothes these times of year. He buys oh, some online. God. He buys some in, in, in person. Uh, it's roughly his birthday. It's roughly the holidays. It's roughly back to school, etc. And really do things that are very interesting about him to him, like Canva, I think just does this so beautifully. And they are, in my opinion, going to become the gold standard by which everybody is saying, wow, these guys do an incredible job of understanding who their customers are, but understanding what their customers do and what they're most likely to do next. And I'm going to give them that little nudge into, into, into that next action that they're going to take. Can, can I... I want to jump in one thing because I keep hearing us talk about data and what's next. And while I, I, I love data, I love the understanding. I think it helps us do our jobs more, just let's say better. I feel like we've dehumanized everything to the point that we're not even talking about people anymore. Um, it's a persona. It's a, and, and, and I'm wondering if the next move is to actually rehumanize what we're doing, find a way to bring the human component back into it. I'm sorry, an SDR calling me is not humanizing this, right? A, an AE calling about my sale is not humanizing this. You telling me that I bought these three things, which means I'll probably buy this next, does not make me feel like I want to do business with me. For most people out there, it actually scares them. And they're like, why are you collecting data on me? Why do you know all these things about me? And, you know, look, to some extent, I think it's helpful. Because being able to predict what you want and give it to you when you need it is a great thing. I don't hate that. But I do hate that I feel like I'm dealing with computerized algorithms and not people. That we're building mm. businesses almost to serve a business, not a human. And yeah. I, I'm wondering if there's going to be a movement 
to to use all this great info and data that we have now in these products to rehumanize the feeling that we get when we actually engage to make us feel like you actually care you're not just like it's you're worth eight dollars to me yeah right so so let me ask you this like how does that manifest itself and are you seeing examples of that maybe in non-traditional places where that's already starting to happen where I'm seeing the most is where we keep talking about how, you know, uh, people have moved away from going to stores and doing things, but we're also seeing that now people are showing up at events at a clip we've never seen before. Now, granted, we can go back to, Hey, COVID propagated this. Sure. We're a little bit past that. I think we've been doing events now for you know year plus, and there's still a pretty high level and people want to engage humanly face-to-face interaction. I mean, that's the, just a first take, right? How we would use this data, I'm not sure yet. I, I mm. just know that even in my own sales motions, buying motions, you know, when I need to buy, I have felt a little put off at times where I'm sitting mm. here going, that's how they just do it and you put up with it. Not I enjoyed the experience or I want to build a relationship with this organization and go deeper. So there, there's definitely something there. And, you know, look, that, I think that's why the initial thought was, hey, bring in CS, humanize everything, make them feel like we care. And it's not a solution, right? It, yeah. it, it was a Band-Aid. So I'm just kind of curious, like, where, where we could go with these things and what we can do with all this amazing information, data, and new things that are helping us to be better informed. Like, I feel like I understand myself better, truly. Right, so that's yeah. what I think. We're that, really happy about that, Judd. Thank you, thank you, Greg. It's a big breakthrough. It's a big right, breakthrough. Right. Uh, let's help. Fred. Hold on, and we're glad that you've taken the step to really understand yourself better. Thank you. Now let's talk about your feelings. No, um, <laughs> I, I think it's actually uh, a good point. It, it in, but I would say two things. So one is a story. So years ago, I met with an agency that had um, uh, one of the big airlines. Okay. And they had multi-million dollar deal there and they spent, you know, six years through digital transformation with them. And what the guy was telling me is the head of the agency is like, look, we did six years of transformation, but you know what we figured out along the way? And I'm like, what? He's like, do you know what or who the customer spends the most time with? And I'm like, Hmm. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. And he's like, so what we did was we trans, instead we moved the transformation to the flight attendant. And we met with the flight attendant who's more likely to, uh, to engage with the customer and figured out what did they need to personalize mm. the experiences. And so an example is, I don't know if you know, but like years ago, they didn't know who was sitting in the seat. I mean, they did, but they, it wasn't usable, right? right. It might've been somewhere else on a, on a sheet of paper or even on, you know, some kind of grid like view in the back. But now when they're coming to you live, so like I, the, don't make fun of me. I'm in Alaska. Uh, that's where my, uh, miles are. So they come up, they say, Mr. Rosenberg, you know, do you want your chocolate? I get my chocolate. And then they say, you know, you have one free drink, you know, last time you had the Kona lager or whatever, do you want one? And it's like, yeah, that little, amount of personalization goes a long way. So like, as you think about, so I'll go to the second point, which is Judd, I think, I, th I think the point you're making is real. We're in a transmedia world, right? We're in this, like where, um, we have to, we do have to address how we communicate with our buyers who prefer TikTok 
versus LinkedIn versus human. But can we take that data and make the human experience better and more like, cause we're talking about how people are craving the human experience. But if you take your standard LinkedIn uh, ribbing, it's always against a terrible sales experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that, so, like, yeah, I think retail has, is poised to do this very well right? Utilizing a very similar use case to what you're discussing on the airline front, Craig. Um, Retail uh, can create really great experiences. And we all have, you know, heard about them or sort of, you know, you've you've, you've seen them in, in popular media, right? Like the repeat buyer that walks into a store and they're like, oh, great to see you. Here's your glass of champagne. I want to walk you through like our latest X, Y, and Z from, from, you know, for this season or, or, or whatever. But the amount of data that retail can collect on you based upon your email engagement, your social engagement, your purchase history, your online purchase history versus your in-store purchase history should be creating realities like this where you walk into a store and maybe you walk into a store and you make purchases that look like X and they can just walk you through that process really quickly. I mean, I think about like the times where, you know, maybe I'm making a purchase for someone else uh, and they're like, oh, you know, looking at your purchase history, like this might be a great fit for for this gift that you want to provide to somebody. And I think that that is the interplay between utilizing data very effectively and creating a very human experience for somebody. You know, we've all seen the the movies from the past where your usual table, Mr. Rosenberg, your usual scotch, Mr. Rosenberg, would you like the, uh, you, you know, would you, would, would you like your steak uh, medium rare or whatever? And that's, that's just human interaction. People knowing people based upon their previous right. uh, experiences, oh. but like, can we capitalize on that same reality by using utilizing data very effectively and ensuring that that data is there with the store salesperson or or whomever is is there to greet the 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 uh, the customer like to me that is where this all starts to coalesce and sort of leans into Judd's uh, take here on creating something that's much more human how that applies to B two B a lot more challenging. But what I can tell you is that when you start, like from my own personal journey at my new company, when you start pulling data from the cloud data warehouse and start putting that directly into CRM, right? So like I can see this company, I can see every interaction that they've ever had with us as a business. Whether it's just I had an ad impression on them from a LinkedIn ad campaign. They've campaign. They've seen this ad. They've been to this page of my website. They've used the free version of my product. They did X, Y, and Z with my product. That is a level of much deeper understanding around how that account is engaged with us than what we previously were ever able to do. And that unlocks an entirely new set of possibilities as a marketer. And I think that this is, what's that? I, I was just excited that you used the phrase unlock. Thank you. I was asking, <laughs> is this an unlock? Yeah. This might be an unlock. <laughs> oh, wow. The visual. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I love it. I love it. It's so to great. me, in terms the application there is broad. Scoring, 
the handoff between marketing and sales, the handoff between sales and customer success, the the opportunity for customer account managers to have an insight into like what their customers are actually doing. And if they're filing, you know, a ticket because they've got an issue, like the full breadth and understanding of of what, how that engagement started, what's happened since they became a customer, what they're most likely to do next. Perhaps that is the moment where you can create that, you know, Gucci, Louis Vuitton type experience for your customer of your SaaS application. You know, I was thinking about Jed when you were talking about the events. It was uh, you ever watch the show Veep, yeah. uh, where Gary would follow her uh, through the party and go, "That's that's the, the yep. Prime Minister of Finland, and here's what they care about." So that's like when I so I do agree, man. Physical events, I can't wait. Like I, I go to them. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do them because it's just great to see people. I just missed it. I forgot how great it was. And by the way, for everyone here, including your uh, silo, because, you know, we used to say, God, well, I just talked to the same people. And then I realized, holy crap, it was good to talk to the same people. Yeah. We learn from each other in a, in a way that's amazing. But like, you know, if you go to an event, one of the issues is just human prep. And I think uh, I'm going to go back to tech. I'm not everyone. I'm not the person that automatically goes back to tech. But can we replicate Gary, the person who whispers in your ear so that you know what to go talk about? Now, there is a training component to that with sales, right? Like, for example, you know how sales, they'll, oh, I saw you downloaded this white paper. And people are like, what? Oh, come on. Instead of saying, yeah. hey, you know, we were talking to a lot of folks about this topic would love to talk to you about, you know, they could have just done it with just four different words and made it a lot yeah. better. That's, you know, instead of saying, Hey, you know, I've been doing a lot of research via our cloud data warehouse and you seem to like this, that, and the other, yeah. uh, instead of saying, just knowing what they're going to want to talk about so that you can have a, cause one of the things that I, you know, I do personally at events is I'm trying to learn as much as I can from the person I'm talking to. But I will say most people want to hear from, you know, like it's a it's this weird thing. Like they know enough about me that they want to hear more about what I have to say about a particular topic. Um, and, you know, if you went. It's Craig, it's because you're famous. Oh, Craig, you're so uh, famous. He's a famous. It's a really, this is a really good thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you got Scott and called famous in the same day. That's <laughs> Gary um, from Veep. Um, so. So yeah. Anyway, I think I think um, I think Judd, you should be the voice of reminding us that at the end of the day, most deals happen because of some human to human interaction. The differentiator, I think, for a lot of organizations will be that uh, digital will rule the ongoing, like the initial and ongoing relationship. The, you know, the ability to be where they are to 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 to. Uh, either educate or at least, you know, be in someone's ear. But at the end of the day, it's not until the humans connect that that thing puts you over the top. And what can tech do for us there, I think is, a, I, I mean, I think it's a big deal. So and, Judd, you are as super, Judd, super app. Super app, there you I go. You did good on um, that what, one, yeah. one. One last thing, you know, I know a lot of people rip sales and try to say that's a human component. But remember, we've created sales as a process. People mm-hmm. are just fine. It's not a humanized thing. You don't care really about what they're saying. And a lot, like a lot do. I think the really good ones do. And they create a great experience where people want to engage with them. When, yeah. when we see those horrible experience, it's 
maybe early stage or people who don't know how to sell who are just following the script, who are following this thing and don't understand that it's still a human being you're talking to. So ju- just to kind of cap this one, I think that to your point, I love the point that you made where it's like we have this data and instead of making it feel weird, be a human being. Talk like, hey, I'm hearing this stuff. Is this something you're hearing? Not, I saw all of your data and I know yeah. what you like. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. can yeah. we get back to being people again and actually engaging? And I'm going to say there's a reason that million dollar deals still include human beings in a purchase. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to get Done. you got to get on the plane. You got to go shake a hand. Like it still really really matters. I think it's interesting because, you know, I think over the course of my my career in tech, I've I've gradually watched people resist the standard go-to-market play. Like doesn't matter if you're lead-based, account-based, whatever. It started with I don't want to fill out this form cuz I know what's going to happen. <laughs> right? Like I don't want to download this white paper. Cause, and then we're like, okay, we got to go on gated. And then it was like, I'd rather do a free trial than a demo request because I know what's going to happen. And it's like, I'd rather self provision because I know what's going to happen. So it's interesting because we want to create a more human experience, but I'm wondering, does the prospect just not want the human experience? Right. If, okay. if we if, need to unpack that though, because the caveat to all of this is we have built systems to guide people. So you, to your point, and I agree because I do the same thing. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And but is that a human experience? Is it like we know that it is a thing that will happen? We know exactly what it's going to be. That's not human. Human sure. is hey, look, you asked for a demo. Do me a favor. I, I, you tell me what you want to see and let me help answer questions for you. That's mm-hmm. a very mm-hmm. different approach that most people don't take, yeah. right? Like instead of I'm going to go through my process, I have to mark off these things. I'm trying to qualify you through blah, 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 blah. Like the people who come on and just have a conversation with you and you get off, you're like, I really enjoyed that. That's totally sure. different. Sure. So yeah. I, I, I think that there's a whole thing that we've got to really unpack and get to because you're to your point, you are right. People have gone one step to the next and saying, I don't want that because I know what's coming. I don't want that because I know what's coming. Not because it's human to human, but because it's so contrived and not a real experience that they're just like, I don't want to deal with it. It's, it's yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. No. By the way, for the next show, I think one thing we should tackle is phrases that entered the tech go to market lexicon that are, uh, that were completely overused and annoying that and so I have to think about it, but I've been, as we were talking, I was listening to us talk and we have been, uh, many of those things have infiltrated our own uh, uh, way that we talk. So we'll have to tackle that as a good one. By the way, this was a deep topic and, and Judd, you try to put a cap on it and you can't. Can't, can't put a cap on it. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.